Picture this. It's Saturday morning and you're on your John Deere compact tractor. You're effortlessly breaking ground on your new landscaping project. Next, you're moving piles of rocks just by moving a lever. And now, you're enjoying the warmth of the sun as you clear brush across your pasture. We could keep trying to put you in the moment, but to really understand everything you can do with a John Deere compact tractor, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'd be one of my friends. I'm just trying to help you save some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate, teach, put in context. Call me, 1-800-743-CNBC, or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Remember when the market was fun and a whole new generation of young investors convinced themselves that stocks do nothing but go up? Yep, it's all fun and games until inflation pulls the rug out from underneath you. Now we have a nauseating new reality where every rally feels like a selling opportunity, like the one we had this morning. And even the best companies can find themselves crushed, crushed like bugs on a windshield, splat, just like that, going to blink of an eye. That's the new normal after yet another miserable session, even as it started again as a great one, where the Dow dropped 465 points, S&P tumbled 1.84%, and then get this, the Nasdaq plunged 2.57% to the point where it is now off nearly 20% from its highs. Wow. What's happening here? What made me walk off the set this morning in disgust in this market? Not rage. Disgust. Simple. Ukraine. Inflation. No matter what you say to put the Ukraine situation in context, i got to tell you, a Russian invasion, obviously a big deal. If our meager sanctions don't deter Putin, then we're going to come in here one day and be down a quick 2 to 3% on the horrendous film of that takeover alone. So why get in ahead of it, right? Isn't that what people are thinking? Of course, this potential war could be over practically before it begins, like Desert Storm, where the U.S. defeated Iraq in a number, just a matter of days. The stock market, after being dragged down for months by that one, not, not like this now, right? Finally, word higher the moment we started shooting back. Everyone who stayed in through that long period of failed negotiations ended up making a fortune. I'd love to believe the same thing could happen with Ukraine, except this time the quick one would be done by the bad guys, and the consequences, therefore, could be horrific. Granted, there's still a strong possibility that a war between Russia and Ukraine would only be a regional conflict. But our government's doing everything to make sure it's a global one. There's great fear on Wall Street that Washington simply doesn't have the horses to pull it off, and the stock market isn't ready for a bloody guerrilla war because the cameras will be rolling. Naturally, none of this is conducive to higher stock prices, at least not until the negatives are baked in, whenever that is. And that's why so much of the red on your screen, that's what it's about. But while Russia grabs all the headlines, you know what? I think it's inflation. Inflation is a far more insidious foe, at least for your portfolio. Unlike the Russian army, inflation is actually here in the U.S., and it's rampaging all over the country. 
Most of you are too young to remember our battles against raging inflation. I'm not. When the oil shock hit in 1974, people walked around, including me, with whip inflation now buttons. Now, I'm not kidding. We wore wind buttons. It was our patriotic duty to save, not spend. We all had to fight against inflation. In the end, we didn't kill inflation, though, until Paul Volcker, then until he took over as Fed chief and took interest rates to 20 percent, causing the entire economy to collapse. In the early 80s, he was the most hated man in America. Now he's beloved. Now, there are a lot of rate hikes here between 0.25 percent and 20 percent. But inflation seems almost out of control as it was back then, which is why I've changed my stance. I hope the Fed stops buying bonds and quickly raises interest rates by a full percent by the summer. I, I don't want to wear a kill inflation now pin. I want the Fed to kill inflation now, which probably means taking some drastic action. But the Fed can't whip inflation without whipping the economy, which explains the hideous downturns we get every time the market tries to rally, which is why I keep telling you to be careful. How bad is it really? Okay, we're going to do something here. We're going to take a stock called Vertiv, all right? It's a terrific little company that came public via SPAC, a SPAC merger. It was actually on my birthday in 2020. Yep, two years ago. Unlike the vast majority of SPACs, this one's profitable with a stock that made you a tremendous amount of money, at least until today. When Vertiv reported an extremely disappointing set of numbers and forecasts, and its stock fell 37%, now down 50% for the year. Total annihilation. Was it execution? Nope. Was it a lack of demand? Uh-uh. Was it a bad end market? No. They sold to the data center business, the best in the world. No, Vertiv's problem was far more insidious. Their raw costs went out of control because of supply chain inflation issues. They failed to sell enough product, not because they had bad salespeople or not enough demand. They had a lot of demand, but because they didn't have enough supply. The supply they did have, they didn't recoup price. Um, I, you know what I say the biggest mistake they made was not keeping up with inflation. Now, I don't mean to pick on Vertip. What I'm saying is that things are out of control when a business gets eviscerated for making the mistake of not jacking up its prices in order to maintain its margins. It was refreshing to hear an unmitigated apology from management. But what are they really apologizing for? Not getting all the semiconductors and other raw commodities they needed to make their product and then not realizing they could get away with taking prices up huge because, well, hey, everyone else is doing it. Even the really great managers of this year, the ones who have gigantic scale, are finding it difficult to navigate this gauntlet. So I think it's too much to ask. I, I, how can Vert have pulled off their little guys? But they should have done better by their own admission. What needs to happen to break the cycle and kill inflation now? Should we ask the Federal Reserve to give us kin buttons? No. Just like the war with waiting, uh, just like the war. We're waiting for Ukraine, right? We're now waiting for the Fed to start killing inflation now. And since it's still buying bonds to keep rates down, forget killing inflation, it's not even trying to wound inflation. It's gotten so bad that if J-PAL acts like, say, tomorrow to start raising rates, I'm not kidding. I bet there'll be a lot of people who would actually start buying stocks in the news because they're just waiting for the other shoe to to drop and have Jay get tough. Yes, for the market, it's a two-front war. The one in Ukraine, the one where businesses are now in trouble if they don't raise prices aggressively right in your face. Neither is intractable. Maybe Russia will decide it doesn't need Ukraine, just needs a pledge from Ukraine not to join NATO. I doubt it, but who knows? And maybe Jay Powell can change the psychology of the industrialists by slowing the economy down to the point where supply chains can catch up and workers return to the workplace as COVID runs its course. If you have enough supply to sell, then perhaps you can't raise price because the buyer won't accept it like they are now. We get a break in either one of these inflation or Russian aggression, then you're going to get a snapback rally of epic proportions. The kind of rally we haven't seen since 2020, when the kids stopped playing Call of Duty and started day trading. But the bottom line, unless the West wins the war of words with Russia or pal slays inflation, you have to expect more of these torturous days and fewer tortured young traders. As it lasts, they fall by the wayside in droves. 
Jeff in Texas. Jeff. Hey, booyah, Jim. It's Jeff in Texas. All hey, right, booyah, Jeff. The Chipotle, the uh, end of last year, it's been a house of pain. What do I do with it, Jim? Well, look, this is a great American company, and this is one of those stocks that we're going to look back and say, when did we last get a chance to buy this company? How did we get a chance to buy it so cheap down here at 1400 Now, look, if it was a hundred, let's divide it by 10. If it was a $142 stock, you'd be saying, you know what? I can take it. I can take the pain. But because it's still got that 1000 handle, it's difficult. I think you buy some every 200 points down. I know that seems crazy, but that's the way you do it. How about Arthur in Illinois? Arthur. Yes, how are you, Professor Kramer? I am doing well. How about you, Arthur? Very good, thank you. Uh, my question is about Ford and any information you might have that would affect the uh, price of the stock. Certainly. I know the- that you so. Yep, we did sell some for the investment club. We sold it in the high, the mid-20s. We're waiting to buy it back. We don't feel like we have the comfort yet. We do have good dividend protection, but frankly, we know that this economy is not that good. But we are so we have not yet in the investment club bought back. We want to buy for it. We do want to buy for it. We think it's great. a big position for the charitable trust. Unless the West wins the war of words with Russia or pal slays inflation, you got to expect more torturous days. Keep your hands in your just sit on your hands until your right prices get to the prices you want, not the ones that the market's giving you market mail money tonight. Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon has a clear vision for the future of the bank. I'm getting the latest with the executive from the company's headquarters. And the market's been a house of pain, you and I know it, but is there a possible we have a bottom? I'm going off the charts to find out. And Peloton has a new director and a new direction, a new CEO. I'm hearing more about his plans in his first broadcast interview at the helm of the fitness company. You do not want to miss that. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand. NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. What the heck is wrong with the stock of my alma mater, Goldman Sachs? By almost any operational metric you care to name, Goldman was arguably the best performing bank last year. Yet its stock lags well behind its peer group and is one of the most inexpensive stocks in the entire S&P 500 on earnings. With all those smart people there, it's still incredibly difficult to get a job at Goldman. Why is it more highly valued? And what is the firm doing about it? Earlier today, I sat down with Goldman CEO David Solomon to try to answer those questions. So take a look. First, David, thank you for letting me into Goldman Sachs. Most appreciative. Well, it's great to have you here, Jim. It's, it's, All right, so let's get right to it. By any measure, revenues, earnings, return on equity. This was the best year ever. And yet your stock is among the lowest when it comes to price to earnings ratios in the S&P. What am I missing? We've been focused over the last couple of years on laying out a strategy that we think will accrue a lot of value to shareholders and will allow the firm to serve its clients exceptionally well. In 2021, a combination of the environment and the execution of our strategy came together and we really delivered. We've got at FTC and at the, uh, the person who's in charge of antitrust, the Justice Department, uniquely focused on the idea that we need more competition, which therefore means fewer mergers. How are you advising people in an era where they seem to be, want to take a lot of time to do a deal, which chills at any sort of thought of an of M&A. Well, I, I think you have to separate, you've got to step back and separate the fact that our M&A business and M&A activity, it's a very, very broad platform. And so there's no question that there are certain regulatory headwinds, particularly with certain types of merger transactions, particularly in certain spaces, large cap tech. And so when you look at that and you separate that out, well, those deals are very visible and they get a lot of attention. The bread and the butter of the M&A business is hundreds and hundreds of transactions for companies between a half a billion dollars and five billion dollars in size. And that activity and the continued consolidation across industries as people are trying to make sure they have scale, because scale is winning at the moment, they have capacity to make tech investment because in almost anything you're doing, investment in technology is helping you connect with your clients or delivering your products or services. And so that activity in that space continues to be relatively active. Okay, let's talk about the, the I, I'll call it the consumer side. I think it's bigger than that, but what you've built. And what you've built to me, uh, don't do this, but if you were to get rid of capital markets and just think of consumer, you might have the same multiple say as a Morgan Stanley, which has done very well doing this, and therefore your actual stock would be higher. How can capital markets be considered a detriment to Goldman Sachs stock? Well, I... I when you, look at, when you look at our strategy, right. you step back and you look at our strategy. Our strategy was to continue to strengthen those core businesses, capital markets and, and uh, investment banking, capital markets and trading. And we've done that. Right. We've expanded our market shares in those businesses meaningfully over the course of the last couple of years. We had a good problem. 
The problem was the environment created an outsized opportunity on an interim basis in that space, and we did a good job working with our clients to capture that on a relative basis. In the meantime, we laid out four areas where we wanted to grow, and we thought there were opportunities to build platforms that could add a lot of value to Goldman Sachs over the course of the next five to ten years. One of them is this digital consumer platform, an integrated platform to help people manage their financial lives on an integrated basis. And since we started five, six years ago, we've taken in over $100 billion of digital deposits, making us a very, very large depository institution. We had over 10 million clients, and we just added 3 million over the weekend in, when in the, the GM, GM card came, came the online. Card. We're growing our balances, and we're scaling that. And at the investor update that I did last week right. in Florida, I put out a target for the end of 2024 of over $4 billion of revenue for that business. So we are showing that business, by the way, last year at about a billion and a half dollars of revenue. So we're showing real growth in that business. We're expanding the customers. We're expanding the products that we can offer. And when you look at that revenue going forward over the next three years, most of that growth is coming from investments that have been made. Apple, GM, deposits, installment loans, Green Sky. The build portion is basically in the ground. Basically, and the build portion is basically in the ground. And so we've got a good runway to really expand the platform, but we continue to be optimistic. And I know, Jim, if we execute on it, ultimately, people will come to appreciate the value of what we're doing. Okay, then maybe what Wall Street is doing, the analysts, they sit there, and I think they nitpick. I think they're talking about an efficiency ratio that you can actually have control more than any other bank because you have the levers. You can even change compensation if you want to. Is the street just not behind what Goldman's doing? They don't get it? I, I um, we're trying to be, you know, this firm, and, and you know this firm well, was not always completely transparent. We didn't lay out a roadmap. We're trying to put a roadmap out with respect to how we're executing on our strategy. And we're going to continue to give people the information and the visibility on the platforms we're building, what we think they can contribute over time. And then on the capital markets business, which is harder for the street to predict, we're going to continue to execute at a high level. We are the number one M&A franchise have been, I think, for 25, 23 of the last 25 years. We have a leading equity underwriting franchise. We have a very strong position here. It's a big business. It might be hard to predict in any quarter or any year, but it's a business that contributes to earnings and book value growth consistently, and I think the bigger players are only getting stronger in those businesses. Okay, but let's figure out uh, what year will the consumer businesses shine? When will we see them? so that it augments. When will we know Green Sky, Marcus, when will these come together, credit card, so that you can actually say, this is the year where it's going to break out? Well, what I would say, Jim, and you, know, you can look out for other data points, we've built a business from scratch that has a billion and a half dollars of revenue last year, now 13 million customers, that's growing. Everybody knows it's growing because we put out a target for the next three years through 2024 to get to $4 billion of revenue. I don't know. That seems pretty good to me. I think if we stood it up separately outside of Goldman Sachs, people would say, wow, that's a really good platform I, that's growing I nicely, that's you. adding customers, that's providing valued services. So, you know, I'm, I'm patient with this stuff. Right. I know that our job is to have a very clear strategy. We have one. It's working, and we're going to continue to execute on it. It's and, working, but it's not working at Wall Street. Now, you said you want to put your money behind growth, but you've not accentuated dividend and you've not accentuated buyback, even though book value is high. If you flip it, would it matter? Would, well, would the stock go higher? I, 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 actually, I, I actually think, Jim, that we have put more behind capital return in the context of the dividend. Look at the dividend growth over mm -hmm. the last few years, and you know, you'll 
you'll see how we go forward with respect to capital return. One of the things that we have said very, very clearly is we see opportunities to invest in the growth of this franchise. And when we do, we're going to deploy capital towards those opportunities if we think those opportunities deliver accretive returns. If we don't see those opportunities, we'll return capital through okay. dividend and buyback. We've been very clear about that. At the moment, we see some opportunities, and so we, we bought a really terrific asset manager in Europe that added it to our asset management platform. I think we've got something really exciting with Green Sky, where we bought this merchant network, and that's going to lead to originations that will grow the consumer platform, exactly what you've been focused on. And so we deployed some capital there. But if we don't see opportunities to add accretive returns, this company generates a lot of capital, and we'll you know, we'll focus on capital. In capital. the time remaining, let's just get personal. When I left the firm, uh, Richard Menschel, who was just a titan who was running my division, wished me well. I was a buy-side guy. I was a hedge fund. All he could do was say, be a great client. There are stories even today in Bloomberg about how you no longer feel that way, that you have a policy, and I'm going to use their terms, it's a policy where you basically forfeit what you've had. You may even lose what you've earned if you go even to the buy side. Has your policy changed that much? Has it changed towards, say, a Greg Lemkow who went to Michael Dell, who, by the way, Dell was a great client when I was here in the 80s. What is the forfeiture policy for those who leave? The, 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 the policy, we made a statement in the press, Jim, is clear. Everybody that's a partner of the firm you know, or a managing director of the firm signs an agreement. Okay, And we are executing on those agreements consistently. The agreements say something. We execute on them. They're very, very clear. And I'd encourage you to pick up the phone and call Greg Lemkow. And Greg Lemkow will tell you something very different than what you read in the, uh, in the Bloomberg Well, that's very today. important because I will pick up the phone. Pick up the phone and call. Friend, pick up the phone and, and call I Greg have, Lemkow. I believe, that, frankly, that the firm has encouraged people who have no one wants anybody to we do. We, we, we encourage people to go off and be great clients. And one right. of the things, when I look at people like Greg Lemkow and Eric Lane, these are guys that serve the firm incredibly right. well as partners. They had over 25 years here. Stephen Schur, our CFO, Absolutely. pick up the phone and call Stephen. And now they're out in the world as terrific clients. We obviously support that. At the same point, we're running a business and we have agreements with everybody right. and there are rules. And okay. the thing that I'm trying to do is I'm trying to follow them consistently. I'm not trying to pick and choose this treatment for this person, this treatment for that person. We have consistent policies so people know what the rules of the road are. Okay, I think that's I, a I better way to run I, a railroad. I will be cut off, but I'm asking it anyway. Are, is everybody coming back? Do you want people back? Are there people who just say, you know what? I'm a smart guy. I can go west. I can go work for Facebook. I can go work for Apple. I'm not going back. Um, I'm sure there are some people that aren't coming back. We generally, and we've been clear about this, we thrive when we bring people together. And we see great collaboration in bringing people together. Our young people who come to the firm to get mentored, to be in an apprenticeship culture, to build a network, they, they want to be in, and they're coming back. And so we're coming back today. My guess is there'll be 5,000 people, or more than 5,000 people in this building. And we're on a journey. We're going to do what's right to support our people. But to serve our clients and serve our clients well, generally speaking, this organization comes together. Other businesses might be different, but we know what's right for Goldman Sachs. All right, I want to thank David Solomon, Chairman and CEO of Goldman Sachs. It is great to be here and great to talk to you. It's thank great you. to talk to you, Jim. Thank you for coming and always good to be with you. Thank you. Coming up, what can the charts tell seasick investors about where the market's waves will roll next? Tackle the technicals with Kramer next. This podcast is supported by FedEx. 
Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Yet another ugly day when you can't trust any rallies. When the S&P 500 is officially in correction territory, how do we get our arms around what is really a hard market? I keep telling you, have some cash ready. Prepare yourself to do some buying at lower prices because it's impossible to game out the Ukraine situation. We don't know if we're looking at a full-scale Russian invasion or a scaled-down Russian incursion into one particular region. But we do know that if the whole market sells off on this conflict, it actually might be a good buying opportunity because we've seen the movie before. Neither Russia nor Ukraine is that plugged into the U.S. economy, which means they can only do so much lasting damage to the U.S. stock market. It's much better than 1997. Go look that one up. And while it's the inflation issue that truly dogs us, specifically the possibility of a recession if Fed, J, Fed Chief Jay Powell hits the brakes too hard to whip inflation now, there could be a relief rally if or when Putin stops his mischief. Still, when Wall Street's panicking, and that's exactly what's happening here, albeit in a slower motion than usual, I like to take emotions out of the equation. Emotional decisions are bad decisions, at least in the stock market. That's why, at confusing moments, we fall back on the technicals and the history of the market. So tonight, we're going off the charts with Larry Williams, a legendary technician, market historian who's been trading stocks, futures, and commodities before I could drive. Hey, that's that long. Larry's written more than a dozen books, created tons of his own proprietary indicators. We hear about some of them now, all of which you can find at his website, which is IReallyTrade.com. I want to remind you that he's got a fantastic track record going back for decades. Analysis has been incredibly useful for the past two years, ever since the pandemic got rolling. Like I said, you want to fall back on something quantitative when the market turns emotional. There's been an emotional period. I like this call by Larry. It's near the end of February. That's when he said we should be focused. That's how Will Williams has been able to make some tremendous contrarian calls, too, including the boldest uh, market call I have ever seen. April of 2020, nearly everyone else was terrified that we'd have another leg down. He said, bye. Right now, we're in a similar situation, right? The market keeps getting, getting clocked because Wall Street's worried about the double whammy of the Fed preparing to raise interest rates. Russia gets ready to invade Ukraine. But Williams has his own methodology. And right now, his discipline says we should actually be headed for a fabulous buying opportunity in the next five days. Wow. Can you imagine that? Why? First of all, He's watching the behavior of commercial hedgers. Every Wednesday, the Commodity Futures Trading Commission releases data on the net holdings of small speculators, large speculators, and commercial hedgers, the latter group being the companies that are actually involved in a given industry. Williams believes that the commercial hedgers have the best understanding of their particular sector because they're the only ones involved who aren't just gambling. They're actual participants. If we're talking about the S&P futures, the commercial hedgers are mainly banks, mutual funds, and perhaps governments that are in the process of buying and selling stocks. When these guys get extremely bullish in their positioning, Williams says it's almost always a great 
buying opportunity. Don't bet against these people. Take a look at the chart of the S&P futures from 2014 through 2019. The red line at the bottom shows what commercial hedges are up to. This is the Williams, and yes, that is Larry, Williams Commitment of Traders Commercial Index that's derived from the CFTC data. According to Williams, whenever this reading gets anywhere close to the the red horizontal line, right? You see that? It's been a terrific signal all over this period. You got to buy. That kind of reading doesn't happen often, but when it does, when you see it, you tend to get a powerful snapback rally in the not too distant future. So, where are we now then? Let's look at the same data on commercial headers in the SP 500 from 2018 through today. Well, look at this. Williams points out that his commercial commitments, got this, of traders index, this is his own index, went to its highest reading in the last five years, right here, now. That tells him a lot of sophisticated money has entered the market on the long side, and historically that means a rally is coming. The last time we had a reading anywhere this high was late in March of 2020, right as the market was bottoming after the COVID crash when he called it last time. That turned out to be a fantastic moment to buy stocks. I call it exquisite moment. Once again, the commercial hedgers are telling Larry, it's time to hold your nose, buy something, because he expects the S&P to bottom by next Tuesday. We're doing that for the charitable trust. You can stay tuned and watch us. It's painful, but we're doing it. And it's not just the commercials have taken such large bullish positions. Williams also thinks the stock market has gotten too cheap versus the bond market the much larger bond market. Now, now I want you to check out this chart of the S&P 500 futures from 2013 through 2017 with the blue line here showing the will vow, yes, once again, Larry's proprietary index, and yet everybody uses it. This measures the valuation of stocks versus bonds. This is not an overbought, oversold oscillator. It shows you the fundamental relationship between stock values and the much larger bond market. In other words, these are times when stocks can be high in absolute terms, but still cheap relative to bonds. When the history shows is that if you buy the S&P, when it's cheap versus the bond market, you tend to do pretty darn well. Those red circles are where Larry's tool would have told you to buy, and they were all correct. So now let's look at a more recent picture of the S&P futures and how they stack up versus the bond market from 2018 through today. Sure enough, right now, at this very moment, the stock market is incredibly undervalued compared to bonds, which is yet another sign to Williams that this is a buying opportunity. Now, I want you to put it all together. We're going to put every bit of this together, okay? Uh, and William C. stocks headed higher, which is why he recommends using this Ukraine-induced weakness to do some buying. However, while he's predicting a pretty good rally, he also acknowledges it's going to be a choppy fair, not a direct staircase to heaven. Which brings me to the bottom line. The charts, as interpreted by Larry Williams, suggest that as ugly and as oversold and as hideous and as miserable you may be and feel about this market, we've got a fabulous setup for a meaningful, possibly long-lasting rally that no one's looking for. And you know what? I wouldn't be at all surprised if this isn't always darkest before the dawn scenario. And that's why I keep telling you to have some cash on hand, as we do for the CNBC Investing Club, picking away and picking away, ready to pounce when our favorite stocks come down to the right levels, even as the dire nature of Russia and Ukraine and the rampant inflation out there make you feel like it's impossible to have a sustained rally. There's much more mad money ahead, including my exclusive with Peloton. With the new CEO at the helm, could the stock be on the right track? I've got Barry McCarthy in his first on-air interview with CEO. And is this the end of the fabled beat and raise period? Let me give you my take and all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer.
In this miserable, horrible market, is it time to circle back to some of the hardest hit growth stocks out there, including one of the worst of the bunch, Peloton Interactive? Last summer, this maker of connected home fitness equipment traded in the 120s. But as the world reopened, people started going to gyms again. It went from, let's say, a Peloton shortage to a Peloton glut, one that sent the stock tumbling to the mid-20s. Everything came to a head a few weeks ago when we learned the company was holding production because they had too much supply and not enough demand. Something led to major layoffs and a leadership transition. Stock briefly spiked to the high 30s over this month when we started hearing chatter about a possible takeover, maybe Apple, maybe Amazon. But Peloton's new CEO threw cold water on that idea. Share price came right back down. At these levels, it's actually just a couple of bucks off its IPO price of 2019. So what will it take to turn around? Let's check in with Barry McCarthy, the rigorous, the hard-nosed Netflix and Spotify veteran who's taken over as the new president and CEO of Peloton to get a better sense of where his company's headed, a move that I welcome. Mr. McCarthy, welcome to Mad Money. Hey, Jim. Thanks for having me. Great to be here with you. All right, so Barry, I got to ask, what makes you come out of really blissful retirement? To be the CEO of Peloton, a company that most investors right now seem to think has already had its best days. Well, I really wanted to play in another Super Bowl, having had the opportunity to do that twice before. (laughs) Well, product market fit is incredibly hard to find, and there are a few companies on the planet that have it. Peloton is one of them, even though it's had a few missteps lately. But once you have it, it's, it's almost impossible to destroy And I thought the combination of all of those assets with some operating rigor would 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 lead to a very bright future for the for this business. And that's why I came out of retirement. Now, you have been and actually, I think, run some incredible subscription businesses. You took Netflix to the next level. I saw what you did with Spotify. I mean, how much does this company have in common with those successes? Well, it's subscription, as you, as you pointed out, you know, today, 2.7 million subscribers paying roughly 40 bucks a month um, with terrific lifetime value, um, fantastically high net promoter scores, and virtually no churn. Um, content-based businesses, just like Netflix and Spotify, global opportunity, um, and founder-led. So... Those are the common touch points. You know, I'm so glad you mentioned global opportunity. I remember when you took me aside Spotify and said, you don't have any idea what's out there around the world. You mentioned Indonesia. You mentioned India. I looked at Peloton. How many countries? That are, they're like a nothing, Barry. Well, four today, right? The U.S., Canada, um, Australia, four, I can't count, Germany, and, uh, and um, the U.K., so lots of opportunity for growth, Jim. I think the, the threshold question for us is when we think about asset allocation, are we, are we better off focusing primarily on uh, our, our, our U.S.-centric business and the things we need to do to be successful there, or are we better off um, at the margin in investing in, in new growth opportunities internationally? I mean, it, it, generally in a world of constrained resources tends to be a zero-sum game. And, and so for the longest time, by way of example, at Netflix, we, we focused exclusively on the U.S.-based business because um, that um, yielded the highest return on invested capital. And eventually, 
took the business internationally. So we need to go through that same analysis here. All right. Now, one of the things that a lot of people are saying to me is, you know what, this man's going to come in and he's immediately going to start raising prices. I said, that's not necessarily the way Barry McCarthy works. He's going to figure out whether he even should be lowering prices for the hardware, raising prices for the subscription. Any thoughts on what you'll do pricing? I think there's enormous opportunity for us to flex the business model um, and and dramatically increase the the TAM by low for new members by lowering the cost of entry and and playing around, if you will, with the with the relationship between the monthly recurring revenue and the and the upfront revenue. Um, and and I think there's tremendous opportunity for us to. Um, double down on our investment in the user experience, in in the content features and functionality, um, uh, to to increase uh, consumer delight with the product um, in ways that we haven't yet imagined. All of which will contribute to to an increase in the TAM. Okay. So no, I'm not focusing on on raising prices. I'm focusing on doing exactly the opposite and. And um, and exploring how much price elasticity there is for the business. All right, that's excellent. People will like that. Now I know you as a man who does not suffer fools gladly, and uh, yet when Peloton told us that it didn't need cash and then did a gigantic raise almost with the same breath, that seemed pretty darn foolish. Something that a Barry McCarthy would never do. Are these days over? Are the foolish people ready to go, or are they gone yet already? Well, for the longest time, the 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 company, I'm told, was pretty accurate in its forecast of its performance, and but not in the COVID world, and 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 so as a consequence, the performance of the business was quite a bit different than than the management team was expecting, and and that had some dramatic implications for liquidity, and um, if you are what your track record says you are, then you'd have to say. The company was less good than they would have liked to have been at forecasting what the cash needs of the business were. Until we can prove that we are capable of of forecasting the performance of the business and meeting those forecast expectations, then there'll continue to be some uncertainty in the business. Having said that, um, from where I sit today, given what I know, and I there's still quite a bit that I have to learn about the business. It, it looks to me like we're pretty well capitalized for the challenge ahead, principally because of some of the pain that, that um, investors have already felt. So there's quite a bit of cash on the balance sheet, you know, sort of, I think, in the neighborhood of $1.6 billion-ish um, at the end of the recent quarter. Plus, there's another billion and a half of inventory, okay. about which a lot has been written, that's already on the balance sheet and paid for. Um, that means that on a go-forward basis, we, from a cash flow perspective, get the benefit of the fact that all that inventory is already sitting in warehouses. So it, it, it may have a negative P&L impact um, because the cost of, to bring some of that onshore, air freight, and that kind of stuff. But from a cash flow perspective, um, we ought to have the wind at our back. So I don't anticipate any unforeseen you know, capital funding requirements associated with operating the business in the near term right. in terms of having people gone you know jack welsh taught us that among the most important things we can do is to is to get the right people on the bus and, and get them in the right seats and there'll be a period of time where i'm 
you know, figuring out um, who needs to sit where and, and how we get the, the thing organized. But I think there's quite a bit of talent in the building. And so um, future success, I think, is mostly about the kinds of asset allocation decisions we, we make and, and making sure that we're adequately funding um, the, 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 the focus of R&D to en- enable the kind of growth opportunities that I've begun to articulate for the business. Okay. Are you concerned, one, about the competition? For instance, we know uh, that you've got the mirror out there, which is a pretty good product uh, by Lululemon. And then, two, we also know you've got some bad press. It's not you. The company has some bad press. Are these things daunting to you? Or are you the same guy who told me at Spotify that I was wrong to be as worried as I was and I would be shown that I was wrong and I was? Am I worried about the competition? Only the paranoid survive. Okay. So I will always remain paranoid. All right, Andy. Having said that, it is the dominant brand in the space. And notwithstanding the fact that the, you know, the founder has been skewered and, and thrown to the curb, so to speak, from a, you know, basically a garage with a, with a crowdsourced funding, he, he built the largest connected fitness business in the world. And he's still in the building and he's still a visionary and he's still my business partner. And I believe that with, with him and the management team, we have the opportunity in front of us to be dominant in the space. And it is my intention to fulfill that opportunity. Oh, well, here's something I haven't said in 90 points. I think Peloton's a buy. And the reason I think it's a buy is the man I am looking at right now is not going to tolerate anything other than success. But only the paranoid survive, by the way, is Andy Grover, one of the greatest people ever. And another one of the greatest business people ever is the man you're looking at, Barry McCarthy. Barry, president and CEO of Peloton, thank you for coming on Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. Can't predict exactly when something's done going down, but I got to tell you something. This one's got a long runway higher. Their money's back in. No need for a meteorologist. Today's forecast calls for thunder and lightning. The lightning round is next. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. What's up, Rap? And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round because we're going to start with Kate in Georgia. Kate. Welcome back, Kramer. Oh, thank you, you while Kate. You were gone. Thank you. Well, I bought um, Southern Copper Corporation, SCCO, slightly higher than the 52 week low. I still like copper. Should I um, add to my position? I want you to stay with it. I like copper, too. It's a great barometer of what's happening in this country. And everybody, we're using more copper than ever. I think that stock should be higher, not lower. I like the yield, too. All right, let's go to Sherry in Florida. Sherry. Hey, Jim. Hi. What's going on? Yeah, I want to know about human technologies. Yeah, I don't know what's happening there, man. That, that stock is just falling apart. Um, but it's one of these things, again, it's like digital solutions for business at home. I mean, there's just no reason to have so many of these companies. Let's go to Marco in California, please. Marco. Oh, yeah, Jim. I've always wanted to do that. What's going on? 
I'm going about Sentinel, uh, Sentinel One. Okay, Sentinel One is a, a is a very good cybersecurity company, but we have Palo Alto just put a great number and it didn't do anything much in the end, even though it did go up. So how is this one going to go up? I say look elsewhere. Ken in North Carolina. Ken. Ken. Booyah, Jim from Booyah. Booyah, Jim from Bear Country in Highlands, North Carolina, and we got a lot of bears running around. Well, I'm mixed on the bear issue. What's up? The question is, stop Crestwood Equity Partners. I like NGL Liquids. I like the yield. I like the group. I'm okay with it. Ryan and Marilyn Ryan. Hey, Booyah, Jim, man. I love the show. All right, Booyah to you. Hey, I got one for you. The ticker symbol is ET. Uh, Energy Transfer Partners, I like it. I wish Kelsey would, uh, frankly, let someone younger come in because he did some things in the environmental side that I'm not crazy about, but I do like ET. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, the bulls are scarce, but Kramer can help you find where they're hiding. Next. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. Hey, you know what? Beethoven really could hear the six. People say he couldn't hear. Nonsense. You know. I, had a, I had a similar disease. Oh, you did? Yeah, you can hear it. You, you know this. Yeah, I knew. Of course. Oh, Beethoven could hear. Forget <laughs> it. That Ninth Symphony was all a He joke. heard it and loved it. He knew every, every okay. note. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. When the market turns turbulent like it is right now, how do you get your bearings? In an uncertain world. I'm always telling you to have a shopping list ready for these moments when the whole market looks like it's going to get hammered. You can be certain Kramer has your back. These companies didn't just sit there and take a beating. They got up off the floor at their darkest hour and reinvented themselves. Give us a call and let's find the market's winners together. For the first time in years, companies are so frightful or downbeat or maybe just plain realistic that it's changed the entire tenor of the market. It's everywhere. This morning, David Solomon, the CEO of Goldman Sachs, said, matter of fact, the future is obviously not as good as the past, given the newfound fickle nature of the capital markets. Goldman's in transition, moving to more of, of a focus on the consumer services for the wealthy. But in the interim, its core capital market business has got a lot more difficult thanks to the Ukraine mess and a tougher Fed. Home Depot got slammed yesterday after reporting a pretty good quarter, except they said margins in the future will be under pressure thanks to supply chain woes. It, it doesn't matter that the Despot crushed the same store sales numbers because the low single-digit guidance was quite disappointing. So even though Home Depot had under-promised, to the point where the analysts were only looking for 5% same-store sales growth when they actually delivered 8.1, nobody cared. To Wall Street, this was the last good quarter in a market that only cares about the future. And that's how a great American company could lose 11% of its value in two days. Of course, there are exceptions. Home Depot's arch rival, Lowe's, was a genuine throwback to a better time with a solid beat. Nice forecast. The future looks great for Lowe's with rising margins. There was no hair on that story, which is why the stock was able to rally despite an ugly environment. Similarly, Palo Alto Network, remember we heard them the other night, advanced a couple of bucks today because it reported a classic beat and raise, which gutted the short sellers who were hoping for supply chain problems. When we spoke to CEO Nikesh Aurora last night, he dismissed that worry out of hand. I like Molson Coors, yes, the brewer, for the same reason. The maker of Miller & Coors actually posted a five-cent earnings miss 
the past, but then it made it clear that the future will be much brighter than the past thanks to new products and a premiumization of the portfolio. Premiumization, how about that? That allows them to raise prices in order to keep up with escalating raw costs. I feel confident this is the beginning of a big turn, with both Molson and Coors growing for the first time in ages. Last year was the first time this company had revenue growth in a decade. It's a huge turn, long-lasting. But Molson Coors is distinctly in the minority among its many competitors that are trying to keep up with bottle and can prices. Now, a lot of this isn't available in the initial earnings release, which is why you can't see it in the headlines. That's why I always urge you to wait before you pull the trigger. Wait for the conference call, because that's where the meat is. CFOs tend to give the guidance after the CEO speaks. The headline writers don't have access to that part of the call ahead of time. So if you just traded Home Depot, you might have brought the stock. You might have brought the stock down relatively little, and then only to get hammered as the call went on. The guidance is the most important thing on the call. You can't afford to trade without it. I don't know when the old beat and raise formula will come back to life. Maybe if the Fed can quickly choke off inflation without hurting earnings, tall order. Maybe when companies raise prices, those prices stick. Most of them can't do it fast enough, though. And if there's a recession, it still won't be enough to save them. Of course, there's always a bull market somewhere. When Devin Energy reported, we learned that it's on tap to make a lot of money in 2022. You should participate in that like we're doing for the charitable trust. I think when most healthcare companies report, there will be plenty of beat and raise numbers. Many techs have no raw cost issues and have secular growth to boot. But for every good tech, there's a Facebook, which had a decent quarter, but then lowered the boom on shareholders with its forecast. Do not despair. But do narrow your objectives. The bull markets are out there. It's just that there are far fewer of them than there have been for a very long time. I like to say that there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise to try to find it. I am right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.